0: You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.
1: Welcome to the Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I am the Miracle Hunter and the creator of the website MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. Today's program should be a great one, should be very interesting. Um, We'll be talking today about the Holy House of Mary in Ephesus, Turkey. Catholic pilgrims visit this house based on the belief that the Virgin Mary was taken to this stone house by St. John and lived there until her Assumption. The shrine has merited several papal, apostolic blessings, and visits from a number of popes, the earliest pilgrimage coming from Pope Leo XIII in 1896, and most recently in 2006 by Pope Benedict XVI. The really fascinating story uh, is how the house was discovered in the first place. Uh, it was sort of a miraculous following of a roadmap of sorts provided by the visions of a mystic and how they know with great probability that this is truly the house where Mary lived. Amazing. I'll be interviewing Erin von Uffel, the promoter of the beatification cause of Sister Marie de Mandat-Grancy. She was involved in the discovery of the Holy House. Later in the program, we'll talk with Father Michael Spiro who leads retreats and pilgrimages, including an upcoming trip to Ephesus, Turkey, to see the House of Mary. should be a great program. And of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking more about how Our Lady is honored around the world on today, February 4th, in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com, or on Facebook, 365 days with Mary. Now this week in Miracle News, uh, just a real brief update on Medjugorje, the famous apparitions in Bosnia-Herzegovina happening since 1981. Uh, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, the CDF, is in the process of setting up a plenary meeting to discuss the report of the commission that just recently ended. Now there's no news on just when that meeting will take place, And, of course, it's all just speculation about what they will determine. But just wanted to keep you informed of the latest updates there. And I'm going to skip over the news of that strange Indiana case uh, with reports coming out about Latoya Ammons and her uh, exorcism. Uh, There's plenty of news outlets covering that news story, um, but we'll certainly keep tracking that one. It's a strange one. Um, And I'll just briefly mention another story. Uh, John Paul II Uh, You may have read that a relic of his was stolen in Italy. It was his bloodstained cassock uh, fragment uh, from the assassination attempt on his life uh, that was stolen about a week ago and was just recovered by the police, along with the relic query, which had been found a day earlier. So that relic is recovered. Um, But one story that I really found fascinating, maybe it's not miraculous, but it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, There's this report uh, coming out of Tramon, Italy, where there were these giant runaway boulders the size of small buildings that came crashing into that town. Uh, Miraculously, no one was injured, uh, despite many boulders rolling through and crushing everything in its path. But maybe the most interesting piece of information was that uh, one of these boulders steamrolled a farmhouse, and I guess in the battle of farmhouse versus rock as big as farmhouse, the rock always wins but uh, this boulder had rolled down the mountain hundreds or thousands of feet only to stop a few feet short of demolishing the living quarters of the Servite Order that lived there. Maybe that's a miracle, maybe not. But you can check out the video on YouTube that has over half a million views already. To keep up to date with the latest in miracle news, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, update on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on miraclehunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. We'll be turning to the mailbag, or the email inbox, as it were, for something recently sent to us at questions at MiracleHunter.com. We received a message from Mevin, who writes, What is the status of the Rosa Mystica apparition? Now, uh, the, you got, keep in mind that the title Rosa Mystica, or Mary the Mystical Rose, is a very old one and may refer to a number of paintings and statues that have been created throughout the years. But when people talk about the Rosa Mystica apparitions, they would be referring to a series of visions during the years 1947 to 1966 that were allegedly experienced by Perina Gili. She was a 36-year-old woman from Montechiari in northern Italy. Uh, she died uh, when she was 79 years old, but had the apparition starting when she was 36. Now, she's mainly known as uh, the seer of the Virgin Mary, also having experienced visions of Jesus himself. Um, there were a number of incredible miracle claims that were alleged, including instantaneous cures from polio, tuberculosis, and others, so uh caught a lot of attention. Um, but keep in mind, the apparitions have never been officially approved, nor have they been condemned. But the devotion has repeatedly been discouraged. There have been five pronouncements uh, that have been made over the course of several decades by the Church, uh, the Diocese of Brescia, Um, And while they haven't condemned the devotion outright, they seriously suggest against participating in any of the activities. And especially the messages attached to these apparitions are not to be spread in publications, according to the statements from the Church. Uh, Bishop uh, Giulio Sanguinetti, he uh, appointed in the year 2001, and it still remains in effect, uh, this Monsignor Piero Boncelli, He's the director of the liturgical office of the Diocesan Curia. He set him up as the presider of a committee that keeps track of this particular devotion and the activities of the pilgrims who come to Montecchiati. So he would be the one releasing a new statement if the Church's position changed on that. So, again, the Church heavily discourages this devotion to Rosa Mystica. So thank you, Mevin, for your great question. Send the Miracle Hunter a question by emailing questions at miraclehunter.com. Now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week I'll be asking a trivia question and giving out a prize for a caller that gets the right answer. This week we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork entitled The Faces of Mary. It's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady from around the world that forms a large, beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child. You can really see it clearly when you step back. And trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia. It's an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host trivia night fundraisers at local establishments. For those listeners in the Chicago area, one such event that's coming up on February 15th at 6 p.m., hosted by St. Mary of Perpetual Help Church in Chicago. It's a $15 admission, which includes a pasta dinner, Prizes for winners, and more information can be found at stmaryofperpetualhealth.com or catholicpubtrivia.com. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com, and we always try to keep the questions of the show related to the theme of the day's program. Now today we're going to be discussing the Holy House of Mary. So here is the question. Which Marian prayer named after the legendary location of the House of the Virgin Mary, contains many of her formal and informal titles. Again, Witch, Mary, Prayer, named after the legendary location of the House of the Virgin Mary, contains many of her formal and informal titles. And we will reveal the winner later in the program. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia, or to organize an event in your area, please visit Catholic Pub Trivia. Dot com. This is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Each week, we'll be doing a segment entitled 365 Days with Mary. Now, for each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world, there's a Marian title, feast, or commemoration of an apparition or other miraculous event being celebrated It never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her throughout the year. All the dates with their feasts are collected into one resource, and that's called 365 Days with Mary. Each entry features images, descriptions, histories of the feast day, along with information on the shrines associated with them, including visitor information in case you want to visit. The project is available in the form of a daily engagement calendar, a daily planner, as well as online at 365dayswithmary.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like us, each day you'll automatically receive information about each feast day and learn more about our Blessed Mother and how she is honored around the world. So be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and visit the website 365dayswithmary.com to see the project. The print version in the form of a daily organizer makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. Now, today's commemoration is that of the Madonna del Fuoco, Our Lady of the Fire, in Forli, uh, Romana, Italy. Um, so the story goes like this. During the night of February 3rd, uh, going into the February 4th, in the year 1428, a great fire broke out in a school in Forli and burned for several days. The gathered townspeople were astonished to find that despite all the fire and all the rubble, they found a woodcut of the Virgin and Child, which had uh, been a source of great devotion for the students there. Uh, By order of the city governor and the papal legate, the miraculous picture was moved to the cathedral the following Sunday. In 1636, a beautiful marble chapel was dedicated to Our Lady of the Fire in the cathedral's left aisle. And throughout the region, her image was often reproduced on doorways and carts to protect against fire. The Madonna of Fire is the patron of Forli, where her feast lasts from February 4th to the nearest Sunday. The city is covered with yellow acacias, as reminiscent of the fire, flowers everywhere. And street vendors in the piazzas saw loaves of sweet bread, Madonna del Fuoco bread, baked with anise and raisins. And that was today's feast, Madonna del Fuoco, Our Lady of the Fire, from Forli, Italy. Be sure to visit the project 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and online at 365dayswithmary.com to find out more about Our Lady of the Fire or any of the hundreds of other Marian devotions celebrated around the world. This is Michael O'Neill. You are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And for more information on the program or my research on miracles, please visit miraclehunter.com. Now today's uh, show again is focusing on the Holy House of Ephesus, and we have today with us uh, a a very interesting guest. We have the promoter of the beatification cause of Sister Marie de Mandat Grancy from the Daughters of Charity, and this is Aaron von Uffel here to talk with us today. Welcome to the program, Aaron.
2: Thank you very much. I'm very honored to have this opportunity to speak to your audience and let them know that the House of Mary is a place that they can go and visit right from their own homes, thanks to a friend of mine, Lorraine Fusaro, who has uh, put a a website um, blog in place for us, which is sistermarie. Dot com, and uh, if they want, they can even go to the site while we're speaking about Mary's house and take a virtual tour.
1: That's great. I think uh, many people cannot visit there on pilgrimage, so that's a, a wonderful resource that you're offering. And Erin, uh, the last time I saw you, it was at the Marian Conference in Columbus, Ohio, where we were both presenting, and you gave a beautiful presentation about the future saint, Sister Marie de Manda-Grancy, from the Daughters of Charity. And you really brought it into everyone's consciousness in the audience, uh, the life of this uh, great future saint. Many people have never heard about this French nun, but she really has an amazing story. Uh, What can you tell us a little bit about the background of Sister Marie?
2: Well, Sister Marie was born in 1837, September 13th of 1837, in a French chateau castle. And she was one of six children. She had a long line of very holy, noble people in her background. You already know some of the saints in the family. St. Bernard of Clairvaux, uh, who uh, is most renowned for the memorari, is one of them. They had St. Hugh, St. Raynard... Uh, many ancient popes uh, that were connected uh, to the time period of the French popes, uh, Pope Clement XI and Gregory VI, and um, she was a, a very, very incredible young uh, girl who, from early on, it was evident that she had such love and devotion to Jesus and the Holy Sacrament, having their own castle. They had a beautiful chapel inside the house. And they also had a huge collegiate chapel, which was on the property where everyone in her village would come on Sundays. And from her notebooks, we have found out that she would, as as young as three and four years old, leave her castle to go out and do little deeds. For the poor and the sick, and it just increased as her age grew. And at the age of 20, she found that she wanted to join the Daughters of Charity, which were in the area. Most of the people who lived in the countryside also had a townhouse in Paris. So when she would go there for half of the year, she would go and observe these beautiful women who were dedicating themselves to the poor and the sick. So she was being called. She surprised her family by announcing that she wanted to become one of the Daughters of Charity, and they were very disappointed because they thought, well, she was such a fine catch, and they were such a noble family that she would be placed in one of the high courts in Europe. But we know that uh, she truly did become royal because she became married to the the King of Kings, our, our Jesus and um, she started off in orphanages and, um, and being a nurse and a pharmacist. She was a teacher. She had the greatest personality where the children that were around her wouldn't want to leave her side. She treated these children as living tabernacles um, where she wanted them to have Jesus living inside of them. So she was very good at developing their souls. She had wonderful words of wisdom to... Uh, Encourage them to think about Jesus and Mary during their day, to offer all of their little acts of play and work and even reading or sewing. She um, was, as one person said to me yesterday, uh, she, she was like a, a Mother Teresa of that day. She just put her hands on everything that she possibly could for the glory of God. And, um, and it wasn't until later in her life, at the age of 49, after she did many, many wonderful uh, virtuous things, that the Holy Spirit was then giving her the vocation to go to another land and to find the house that the Blessed Virgin Mary spent the last nine years of her life. And... From, she had actually read of the book on the visions of Anne Catherine Emmerich, who was a German mystic, bedridden in Germany, who uh, was given the greatest graces to be able to see the past, the present, and the future. And she had a German poet, Clemens Brentano, as her scribe, and he wrote down all of these visions. Now, at public. the at
1: the time, um, uh, Anne Catherine Emmerich was not uh, a saint in the church. I mean, that was only a very recent thing that she was declared a saint. So, exactly. at the time, Sister Marie uh, felt that those visions were authentic and, and decided to go ahead with it. Is that correct?
2: Well, because it was uh, one of the best-selling books of the time in France, and as she was reading it, the promptings from the Holy Spirit. Also, when, when the Holy Spirit calls someone to do something, He lines things up, provides the graces, in order for someone to, of to free will, go forward to do God's work. And at that particular time, Pope Leo Thirteenth was calling for missionaries to come to Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And uh, the orphanage that she had been superior of was closing. So God was closing that door and opening up another one. And so she volunteered to go on to Turkey and answer the call of the Pope. And, um, and she found herself very close to Ephesus, which is the area in which Anne Catherine Emmerich had said that the Blessed Mother had lived. And when she got to Smyrna, which is where the French Naval Hospital was that she then became the superior of, she started to speak to the people of that area and she found out that there was a Christian tradition starting from very early on that was passed from father to son and son to their child and the generations carried it on. And these were the descendants of the early Ephesians and they spoke about having seen a great light in the sky near a dwelling place and they would go on pilgrimage every august fifteenth to Ephesus where the runes are. And those runes are, you know, remain to this day and many people go there. And so she was encouraged already by finding out that not only is she being pulled there by the Holy Spirit, but there are already people who go on pilgrimage to that vicinity. So now she knew she had to find someone to actually do the expedition, because as a daughter of charity, there's no way a woman would be able to go into the woods where there's all sorts of bandits, it's very dangerous, and it's very rough terrain. But as God would give the providence to accomplish his will. There was a Vincentian priest, Father Henry Young, who taught at the Sacred Heart College in Smyrna, and he would come to her French Naval Hospital every single day to celebrate Mass and to also hand out Holy Communion to the patients. And as soon as Sister Marie saw Father Henry, she said in her heart, oh, he's the one. And so she handed him the book on Anne Catherine Emmerich, and she asked him to read it. And he did not want to have anything to do with a mystic. He, of course, uh, was trying to just say, I don't want anything to do with this. I want to stay away from this. But Sister Marie, when she knew that there was something that she needed to do for God, she was very persistent and she was very charismatic, and she was very gracious, and she would just say, I will send you the book. Just promise me that you'll open it, and you'll just look at it.
1: So she had already seen the site and talked to the people and verified that it was there before she was presenting the book to him.
2: The site had not been found, but because they knew that um, that when, when, when Mary and John left Jerusalem because of the religious persecution right after the stoning of St. Stephen and the beheading of St. James. They went to Ephesus, which was religiously tolerant. There were other Jewish and Christian settlers and family members of Mary and friends that were already living in the hills of Ephesus, and St. John went on to build a stone house, first one ever made in the shape of a cross, so that he would be able to preserve and take care of Mary as it was told from the cross from Jesus in John 19, Behold your mother, mother behold your son. So he was taking care of this very precious sacred woman who now was the mother of all of us, the mother of our church. And uh, so In the year 380, the people of Ephesus, they were venerating Mary already because she had lived in that place, and they believed she was assumed from there, and so they created, they built a basilica of Mary. Mm -hmm. And so those are the ruins that the people were going to, but the Ephesians were going from that pilgrimage, and some of them were going on to the site To this house and making repairs every year, which Mm is not common knowledge. So Sister Marie knew she had to find this house, but nobody really knew where the house was. And the Ephesians, who were coming and going for so many years, they were disappearing and nobody was finding out exactly the place. So Father Young, as well as the superior of the college, Father Poulin, and some of the other priests, they wanted to prove Sister Marie was wrong, and most of all, Anne Catherine Emmerich was wrong. And they mm. wanted to say, that, oh, how foolish these women are, and they don't know what they're talking about, and there is no mysticism. And they decided to put an expedition together in the summer. They left on July 27th. They found the house on July 29th, because Anne Catherine Emmerich, in her visions, she gave such precise details of where the house was, how many feet up. When you're standing on this part of the hill, you will see the ancient ruins of the city of Ephesus. You'll see the islands of Samos and Patmos. You'll be able to see pine trees. She describes everything with such perfection that it was a treasure map. All they had to do was follow it, and when they did they actually did find the house, which I think the most remarkable part is that the house was above ground Amazing! Uh, to the Holy Land, and you're going down into so many different levels before you get to where they were actually living, where, because of these tremendous pine trees and the way that the uh, Aegean coast was before them it was almost as if there were these beautiful uh, angelic wings of protection around this house so when they did find it and there are pictures in the um, on our site the but there's tremendous detail of it in a book that father Carl Schulte wrote which you can get at www. Tan Books T A N TanBooks dot com, and you'll be able to see the pictures of it as well. But they they saw the house; the the roof was gone. There were some portions of the walls that were missing, but mostly it was intact because of these tremendous um, devotees and early Ephesians who who really revered it and took such great care of it. So of course, when they found the house, they then came back to Sister Marie. And as they're talking, they all decide they have to purchase this property. Now, the only person that would have had that kind of financial background and um, be able to pay for something like that out of the entire group was Sister Marie. Mm. What's more incredible is that the order of the Daughters of Charity, they take on vows, but in their vows, they are allowed to use whatever wealth that they personally own for the good of the Church and of God. So here, God not only called Sister Marie to her vocation, but he specifically put her into an order where it would be permitted.
1: So if it had been a nun of a different order uh, locating the house, perhaps she wouldn't have any money to to fund the project
2: wouldn't have been possible at all, which is, is really one of the signs of how she was chosen, and maybe because of the, the Marian devotion, you know, starting way back with um, St. Bernard and, and so many of the other great saints in her family who loved Mary, and how it just continues. You hear about this beautiful generational grace that goes through the different family lines, and uh, so... She was able to go back to France. She had to speak to the Count, uh, her father, who, of course, said, you're going to make us the laughingstock of all Europe. You mm. want me to give you this tremendous amount of money to dig, and what if you don't come up with anything? Mm-hmm. But when they were just going on the expedition at that time, you know, just thinking about things, and, and okay, well, now you found a house, but who knows if that's the house. That could just be a house that's worth nothing. Right. <laughs> but because God provides, and, and, and she had that incredible personality, and uh, she was extremely tenacious, and she she really wanted to accomplish what God had put before her, her father did say, yes, okay. And, you know, she said, "Well, why don't you just give me the money? Had I gotten married, like my sisters, just give me my dowry in that regard." And he did, and she was able to buy the entire mountain. Once she had the entire mountain, she she had the people who lived on the mountain. She paid for them to rebuild all of their homes, and she said, "Please, just help us keep this place a special place for the Blessed Mother."
1: That's quite a dowry there to <laughs> to pay for all those things. That's that's wonderful.
2: Yeah.
1: no uh, yeah, Now, now um, for anybody just tuning in, uh, you're listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. I'm here with Aaron von Uffel, the promoter of the beatification cause of Sister Marie de Mandat Grancy, who's the uh, discoverer of the Holy House of Mary in Ephesus, as we're finding out. So, uh, so Aaron, once these funds were secured um, and the project was begun. What steps did they undertake to uh, excavate and uh, explore the site?
2: It took quite some time in order for them to get uh, permission from the Turkish government. We have letters between Sister Marie writing uh, to the sultan, and um, she was able to finally get the permission after years and years. And um, and when they were excavating, they found several very interesting things. First of all, they found that all of the bodies of the people buried around the house were facing the house. That meant their head, their heart, and their feet faced this home instead of Jerusalem, which would have been completely opposite at that time period. Everyone buried would always be facing Jerusalem. So that told the archaeologists that whoever's was living in this home, was more important to them than having faced Jerusalem. They also found in the hands of these skeletons coins that brought it to the time period of Justinian. And, um, and they found around the house molds for the making of the communion wafer with wheat and grapes, and um, and they found uh, a spring that showed that she had running water in the house. Um, the house was built in the shape of a cross, but one of the arms of the cross, unfortunately, was damaged because of the water, and there is an underwater well there, so they've never continued that on. So any of you that are on www.sistermarie.com. Looking at the pictures, you can see that that part of the arm is is missing. But um, they had a commission in uh, 1892 by Archbishop Timoney, and uh, it showed that, uh, indeed, this was an 8th century building that was built on top of the ruins of a 1st century church, and and that it was exact to the writings of Anne Catherine Emmerich. What is interesting is Anne Catherine Emmerich goes on to talk about how all of the apostles were there and um, gives incredible descriptions. So, you know, I would recommend reading her books as well. I I really believe, you know, God has us all together with the communion of saints. and, And I truly do believe that anyone that's even listening to this program, they're being invited to, to pray to Sister Marie and to become part of trying to raise her to the altar of the saints. Right after Sister Marie died in 1915, they wanted to open up a cause of beatification for her because they really did believe that um, she was, uh, you know, had those heroic virtues and and um, was to be raised to the altar. But There were tremendous um, upheavals in Turkey at that time. The the French were dispelled, which makes it very interesting because when she died, it was the Americans that had to sign all of her death certificates, which is very interesting for, for me because having asked the Daughters of Charity for the cause to be brought forward now because... You know, in 1915, the different problems in Turkey, and then World War One, World War II. And throughout the, the 60s, they even tried to open up a cause, but um, ha- they didn't have any funds at that time. And that's really what pulled me into this this work, was knowing that it should have happened, but nobody was stepping up to the plate to do it. I just thought, if someone's supposed to be a saint we're the ones that miss out if that saint isn't being brought forth and there's something very important for her to do. So that's why I'm encouraging people to to help out um, us and and to pray to her and to help her get raised to the altar. But one of the things in order to have a cause opened was you needed to go to the bishop of the place where she died. Yes. I did go to... um, Archbishop uh, Franceschini, who was the Bishop of Smyrna, he did open up the cause, but he said he needed help, because it is um, an area where they only have a very low percentage of Christians there. They don't have the means to do the type of work and open up the different commissions to investigate, and you I'm sure I've explained this to your audience so many times over, knowing so much about the different steps towards canonization, but having done the, the investigating and finding out that it was America who actually did step in at the time of her death, I see that as another bit of providence that he is calling the people of America to be part of this. So um, her cause, thanks be to God, was opened on uh, January 21st of 2011, which happens to be the patron saint of my diocese mm-hmm. in New York, um, at St. Agnes, and, um, and it was another link of how It really was providential for for us to be working in this manner. The cause was opened in Kansas City, Missouri, by um, uh, the bishop who happens to have a family living in his diocese who started the American Society of Ephesus. Oh, amazing. He also has an order of sisters who have started their entire... um, Uh, vocations based on the life of the Blessed Mother living in Ephesus, and they're building a replica at St. Joseph, Missouri, in his diocese. So, we were all completely linked, and it's almost like putting the pieces of a puzzle together, or a tapestry, and, and you're starting to see the full picture. But the most exciting part, truly, is the prayer. People who do not know who Sister Marie is, and they hear, you just pray to her. Ask her for help and see if she can get permission from God. They come back to us and they say, I did. I surrendered my prayer to her. I needed help in this regard or that regard. We have somebody who even, they were blind. They couldn't even say the prayer. Just in their heart, they said, Sister Marie, please help me. I'm blind. I can't see. They placed the prayer card on their eye. The next morning, they could see. Amazing. There was a woman. She was being carried around by other women for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. She put the prayer card on her hip after praying to Sister Marie. Something moved, and all of a sudden, she jumped up, and she was walking around. My own father, he had his toes turn black. My mom and he prayed together, then they put the prayer card just under the part of the bed where my my father's toes would rest. The next morning, his toes were perfect. There are so many different people who have prayed special novenas. Somebody was asking for a special favor. They prayed Sister Mary's Prayer every hour on the hour, and they were going to do it for nine hours. They called me during the second hour and said she answered my prayer already.
1: Amazing. So the
2: prayer and and Aaron, is this is the prayer on the Sister
1: Marie website for people to find? On
2: the site you can print it. It's also in the book which you can get at tanbooks.com. I made sure that when they were publishing the book that they had a special page that people could um, you know pull out and have with them. Uh, And if you go to our website, you can print it out yourself. There's also information of getting in contact with a printer in my town who um, ships them out to wherever they want because usually people want to buy them in multiples. And um, I've seen people pull them out from their wallets and they say, look at how this card is coming with me everywhere. And they won't give it up because they say it's, it's so incredible. There was one gentleman. He had uh, skin cancer. He was having it removed. It was supposed to be from the top of his head to the bottom of his shoulder. And he put the prayer card on his head. He invoked Sister Mary to get rid of the cancer. When he went in for his surgery, it was gone. There was one tiny dot where. It originated, but here the doctor opens everything up, and there was nothing there. He then found out that his best friend was having a baby. They were afraid that it was, um, they were told that it was going to be a Down syndrome baby. He didn't want to give her, her his prayer card, but he loved this this friend so much. He said, I'm going to give you the most precious possession I have, and it's this prayer card. I know Sister Marie's is going to help you. She took the prayer card and just For the last four weeks of her pregnancy, she wore the prayer card touching her baby. Her baby was perfect. She then hands the prayer card back over to this um, friend. He was an identical twin, by the way, the one with the cancer. And all of a sudden, something was happening in the twins' family, and Sister Marie helped that, too. We have a direct line where we can literally see from testimony to testimony somebody who says... Really, you should just pray to her because she just did this for me. And it it just continues, and it goes forward, and it's not magic. It's only if God wants to give permission to Sister Marie to show that he is favoring her for these times, something will happen. If the answer is no, if things don't come through, Sister Marie will still be with you. She will still be praying with you, and she'll be helping you as best as she can. But she only works in union with... Jesus. But something that's very incredible about Sister Marie is that there's a huge connection with her and the Muslims. And I found out about Sister Marie just prior to the September 11th happenings in New York. And um, Sister Marie's one of her early ancestors, was the very first person to ever translate the Quran. His name is uh, Pierre the Venerable, and that happened in 1122. Well, Sister Marie here, she becomes the the foundress of the House of Mary, which is a place of pilgrimage for the Muslims. The Muslims have entire verses dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's right. When I have been to the House of Mary you see there are more Muslims that come to this house to pray to her. And when you're inside the house, it's a it's a home of reverence, of prayer, of silence. But you're together with the Muslims and the Jewish people and the Orthodox. You know, people of all religions go there, but it is mostly the Muslims. And um, for her to have established this Marian shrine in a Muslim country... Where she went as a daughter of charity and working amongst the Muslims and helping them. it's it's pretty remarkable. I, I really see that as a sign that she's going to be our intercessor with the Muslims. and um, the first healing that we ever heard of was from the daughter of a Muslim
1: that is that is a great connection and very timely in our day and age as well. so, She's a, a saint from many years ago, but uh, you know her. She's very relevant to today. So, Erin, uh, thank thank you so much for for joining us today. And uh, I just give, to her, give us give us again where people can find things. out more information on Sister Marie, okay. and if they have a, a story of a miracle, how they how they can get in touch with, with the cause for her beatification.
2: Yes, thank you. Uh, www dot sister s i s t e r dot com and they can get the book at tanbooks.com. And September 13th at 4.30 in Kansas City, Missouri, we will be having her closing ceremony. So if anyone would like to come and witness the closing of all of the documents that have been investigated and um there will be a tremendous ceremony, uh, and everything will be blessed and sealed before it goes over to the Congregation of the Saints. But we, I do encourage you all to um, to print off your own prayer cards and, to, um, and just become friends with her because she is going to do many, many wonderful things, and she does need to have a miracle in order for her to be beatified. So maybe one of you people out there listening It's going to be you, or you'll be the one who will be handing the prayer card to the person who receives the miracle. And I thank you, Michael, so much for this opportunity to share the story of Sister Marie and the House of Mary.
1: Thank you so much, Erin. I think you've really inspired people to hop on the website and learn more and direct some prayers to Sister Marie de Mondad grancy Thanks so much for being with us on the show today.
2: Thank you. God bless you all.
1: God bless you. This is, this is Michael O'Neill. You are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And for more information on this program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Now, earlier in the show, we asked a trivia question. That question was, which Marian prayer, named after the legendary location of the House of the Virgin Mary, contains many of her formal and informal formal titles? The answer is the Litany of Loreto. According to legend, the Holy House of Mary in Nazareth, not Ephesus, Nazareth, was transported by angels to Loretto in the year 1294. This litany was approved in the year 1587 by Pope Sixtus V. We had a caller earlier, Bonnie. She called during uh, Aaron's uh, interview, and so we got her name, and Bonnie will be sending you out the prize for answering correctly uh, to the Catholic pub trivia question. And uh, again, if you have questions about Catholic Pub Trivia, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. Uh, our second guest today, Father Michael Spiro, who is a spiritual director, a prolific author, and the founder of Caris Ministries, which is a Jesuit outreach to young adults in their 20s and 30s. He leads retreats and pilgrimages, including visits to Ephesus, Turkey, uh, what we were just talking about, and he will be taking a group to see the Holy House of Mary, amongst other religious sites, on this pilgrimage. Uh, welcome to the program today, Father Michael.
0: Thank you, Mike. I'm delighted to be with you.
1: Now, this is great. Uh, we we just had a, a wonderful story from um, from Baron Aaron von Uffel telling this, the story of Sister Marie's discovery of the House of Ephesus. And I was hoping today, um, I know you're doing some pilgrimages there uh, in the future, and you've gone there in the past. What can you tell us about when you visit this, House of Mary, what do you see? What is it like when you go?
0: It's a very simple structure. Um, It's uh, Many of the stones uh, uh, are the ancient stones, the original structure, as Aaron was saying, it's, it's cruciform. When you walk in, there's a single large room, there's a statue of Mary, there's an altar there, there's a prayer wall on the outside that's sometimes referred to as a wishing wall, there's a stream that runs through it. Uh, but what, I was there 15 years ago, and uh, I'm, I'll be taking the pilgrimage, as you mentioned, this July. One of the very distinct memories uh, from my previous vivid visit is the sense of prayer that permeated, the sense of holiness. Um, one of the things that really draws me to wanting to lead this particular pilgrimage to Turkey is because it is a Muslim country, and there's such tension in the world now between Christians and Muslims, that what's unique and powerful and so beautiful about this House of the Blessed Mother is that it is a, it's, uh, it's a place of veneration and a place of prayer for both Muslims and Christians. And that is... So rare throughout the world, most uh Christians are not allowed to go into Muslim sites and pray and uh, many Muslims uh, uh, even if they were welcomed into a Christian or a Catholic church w- wouldn 't be uh, comfortable there but mary 's house is a is a house for uh, for both the Muslim community as well as all of the branches of Christianity—Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant—and uh, one senses um, that there's something unique and very special and very holy uh, when you approach those grounds. It, it is fascinating, and I think it's where we we need to be praying for peace within our world right now. We need to be praying for unity among the great uh, monotheistic. Uh, religions, especially, and that has not been our history we've been it 's been characterized by much tension and lots of lots of fighting and yes. uh, this site represents uh, in a physical way that that call for ecumenical interfaith prayer that 's right,
1: and um, we have a uh, a scripture uh, john uh, nineteen which talks uh, about the house of Ephesus in sort of an indirect way. The scripture says, uh, Christ coming, or talking down from the cross, he says, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Can you reflect a little bit on that, on both the literal meaning and also what it means as, as sons of God, uh, how, we, how we interact with the, with the Virgin Mary?
0: Yes. So on the... The literal level, uh, and Aaron referred to that scripture earlier in the program, it's this commission of John as the only one of the apostles uh, who who didn't run away at the time of the crucifixion. Uh, And he's not named John, as uh, most know, but he's named as the beloved disciple. And so this is Jesus entrusting his mother to the care of the beloved disciple. And there are these two traditions that are competing. Uh, one is that John made his home in Jerusalem, and that's where he cared for the Blessed Mother, and that's where she died. And the the other tradition, as the one that we've been exploring here, is that because of the persecution in Jerusalem, th- they went to Ephesus, and that's where John built uh, this home for the Blessed Mother. Uh, that, that's the the literal interpretation of the text. The symbolic or mystical interpretation of the text has to do with the fact that John is not named John he's named the beloved disciple and scholars from uh, the earliest times have seen in that that each one of us is called to become the beloved disciple each one of us is called to make a place in our home for the blessed mother that she's it's it's the tremendous gift that Jesus Gives us from the cross. He, she, he's not just giving his mother to be, the beloved disciple John. He's giving his mother to everyone who uh, accepts Jesus as Lord and welcomes welcomes him as Savior. So Mary is entrusted to each one of us. Um, I think is that notion of pilgrimage there is something very special and powerful about visiting the physical site, but that's really a preparation for the much more important pilgrimage, which is uh, building a sanctuary inside of our hearts, of allowing Mary to take us to Jesus uh, through the deep interior contemplation of prayer. Yes.
1: Um, And and now, uh, again, this is the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. I'm here with Father Michael Sparrow who is leading a pilgrimage to visit the Holy House of Mary in Ephesus, Turkey, for anyone just tuning in at the end of the hour here. Father Michael, what can you tell us about the pilgrimage as far as how do we find out more, who can sign up, uh, when the pilgrimage is leaving, when it's coming back? Uh, Where where do we find out more?
0: Yes, we're um, leaving uh, this summer on July 9th, and we'll be coming back on July 20th. you could the easiest way is to shoot me an email. My last name is pronounced like the bird, but it uh is spelled with one R and it's an English spelling. That's S P A R O U G H at A O L dot com. Uh, S P A Rough S <laughs> P A R O U G H at A O L dot com. Uh and if any of the listeners would be interested in joining us, we'd we'd love to have them come along. There's still plenty of room uh july ninth to the uh twentieth. And uh consolidated tours out of Atlanta is putting the uh the logistics of the pilgrimage together. They've uh they're the tour operators for uh Father Mitch Paqua uh who's a dear friend of mine on EWTN. Thank you, Father, for being with us today and taking us on a, a very short uh, verbal spiritual
1: pilgrimage, uh, visiting the site there and letting us know what we would expect to see uh if we were to visit. So Thank you very much uh, for being here uh, today on the program.
0: Thank you, Mike. appreciate the invitation.
1: And that was Father Michael Sparrow. Uh, he was a spiritual director, prolific author, and founder of Karis Ministries, and he will be leading a pilgrimage to Ephesus to visit the House of Mary. Uh, that's in July. And again, he said that he can be reached at Sparrow, S-P-A-R-O-G-H, at AOL.com for more information on joining that pilgrimage. And that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank our guest, Aaron von Uffel, the promoter of the cause of Sister Marie de Mandat Grancy, and Father Michael Sparrow of Karis Ministries for joining us on the show. Next week, we'll be talking with a popular author, speaker, and blogger for the National Catholic Register, Mark Shea. He's been, he's been writing a series of interesting articles on private revelation and how it's viewed differently by Protestants and Catholics. Do modern miracles really exist? We'll hear his answer next week. This coming weekend, on February 7th and 8th, I'll be giving a series of three talks at a retreat run by Our Sorrowful Mothers Ministries in Vandalia, Illinois, near St. Louis. For more information on attending this retreat, please visit Our Sorrowful Mothers Ministries website at osmm.org or go to miraclehunter.com. Be sure to visit miraclehunter.com as your resource for miracles and keep up to date with How Our Lady is Honored Around the World at 365dayswithmary.com. days with Thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, but it's always worth the hunt.
0: You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.